This morning I would like to talk briefly about the significance of the resurrection. What does it mean to the child of God? What is, uh, if, if Jesus' tomb was empty, what does it mean for the Christian? And I would like to present quickly um, seven critical consequences to the child of God and the Christian faith as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'd uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Father, we pray that as we open your word that you would be our teacher, that you would be our instructor, and that you might help us understand the significance of the resurrection and what it means for the child of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to present seven critical consequences to the child of God and the Christian faith as a result of the empty tomb. Acts chapter 2, we're going to break into Peter's sermon here on the day of Pentecost, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. The first uh, benefit, the first significance to the child of God for the resurrection is that the resurrection of Christ authenticates Jesus' claim to deity. It authenticates Jesus' claim to deity. God basically sa is saying to us here in this passage of Scripture, uh, in beginning in verse uh, the 22, uh, if Peter were to put words in God's mouth, it would be, I told you that my son was coming. He came with divine power and miracles, verse 22. Verse 23, you crucified him. And verse 24, I raised him up again. The scripture tells us that when Jesus was resurrected from the grave in John chapter 19, we are told that he appeared to his disciples. Thomas wasn't there. And the scripture says his disciples believed. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I see it with my own eyes and touch the scars with my own hands. The Bible tells us a few days later that Jesus appeared again to the disciples. Thomas was there. Jesus invited him to see and to touch. And Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. The resurrection of Christ authenticates the deity of Christ. Number two, the resurrection of Christ authenticates the prophecies of the Old Testament. Verse 25 says, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, 
Then Peter, after quoting from Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, Peter then says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, you might think that these verses were all, in, were all fulfilled by David. But... Uh, Peter makes it clear in verse 31, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. And so the second benefit of the empty tomb, the second benefit of uh, the resurrection of Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Number three, the resurrection of Christ conducts the supernatural power of God to the believer. It, con it conducts the supernatural power of God to the believer. And that's based on a passage one page back, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That was the prediction that Jesus gave to his disciples and in chapter 2 of Acts, beginning at verse 1, we read that the, on that occasion they were filled with this power. The Holy Spirit came, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And Peter, the remarkable man who had denied Jesus three times, we read in verse 14, stood up, ignited by the Holy Spirit, and preached to thousands of people who had come to Jerusalem for Passover, demonstrating the power of God in his life, demonstrating the fact that Peter had dramatically changed as a result of the resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ conducts the supernatural power of God to the believer. And that means that when you and I receive the gift of eternal life, we don't live the Christian life in our own resources. We don't live the Christian life in our own strength. We live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit who has been sent to us. Number four, the resurrection of Christ confers spiritual life to man. That's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 to 49. And the Bible tells us in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Oh, let's see here. Philippians, I will read it. Speaking of our citizenship, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, that he has even to subject all things to himself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ prepares our body for heaven because our our uh, citizenship is in heaven. Our na nationality ultimately is in heaven. We don't belong here. We're only here for a short period of time. And our bodies, the moment we receive the gift of eternal life, were set to uh, experience a transformation which we will experience when we are ushered into the Lord's presence. And so there is practical value, there is significance to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It impacts the life of the believer. 
First of all, the resurrection of Christ authenticates his deity. Second, it authenticates the prophecies of the Old Testament. Number three, it conducts the supernatural power of God to the believer, allowing us to live the Christian life in his strength, not our own. And number four, the resurrection of Christ confers spiritual life to man, preparing him for life and eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. Number five, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Paul says here in this passage that he wants us to be enlightened. There's something here he wants us to know. And the thing that he wants us to understand and know, number one, is the hope of his calling. Number two, the riches of the glories of his inheritance. And number three, the surpassing greatness of his power. The resurrection of Christ is critical to the establishment of the church. And uh, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, that he was made head over and the leader of the church. And uh, the scripture tells us here in verse, uh, um, verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is critical to the establishment of the body. When he raised from the grave, he was made the head of the church, the head of the body. A body without a head has no function, no purpose. And the scripture makes it abundantly clear that the resurrection of Christ was vital to the establishment of the church. Number six, the resurrection of Christ establishes moral absolutes in a morally depraved world. This is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection passage. Verse 32 says, If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and to be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. There is, if there's no resurrection from the grave, Paul says here in verse 32, let's just eat and drink and have a good time. There are people today who believe that that's our purpose on the earth, just eat and drink and have a good time. And Paul is writing to correct that misunderstanding. And he's telling us in verse 33, do not be deceived, don't be fooled by this. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
point is, and this comes up a lot of times in counseling sessions, we have a tendency to become like the people we socialize with. We have a tendency to become like people we spend a lot of time with. Recently I took off my shelf uh, a copy of the uh, uh, the uh, the high school uh, yearbook that I, uh, the, the uh, Sunnyside High School yearbook, and I was looking through at uh, pictures at people that I remembered from my high school years, and I uh, was thinking to myself, some of these folks have placed themselves in really difficult situations, and uh, when I went to my high school reunion just a couple of years ago, I saw that some of them were absolute had, had made some really bad choices. And if you haven't done this before, take a look at your yearbook and ask yourself, what's the difference between some of the folks whose pictures are, are there and you? And you'll find that the answer is basically choices that you've made. Particularly choices as, it's been, as you've made relative to friends. We become like the people we socialize with. And the Bible says very clearly don't be deceived don't be fooled bad company corrupts good morals and I really believe that in light of that fact one of the most important things that a mom and a dad can teach a child is how to make is how to choose friends and don't be fooled by believing that just because uh, a child goes to church or is a part of the youth group it is a good person for your child to be with Sometimes even Christian kids make bad decisions. Folks, we, we need to heed Paul's words here in this resurrection chapter. Bad company corrupts good morals. And we need to teach our children, we need to be reminded ourselves that we become like the people that we socialize with. And that's why the body of Christ has been established. That's why we have equipping classes at the church. That's why we worship together on Sunday morning. That's why we have shepherding classes during the week, home Bible studies. It's because we want people who come to our church to find other people who, are, who want the same things out of life that they want and are moving in the same direction that they're moving. Because we believe bad company does corrupt good morals. And I am easily tempted, I am easily drawn off the path of obedience to Jesus Christ. And therefore, I need the encouragement of the saints. I need to be with God's people. Number seven, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives the believer hope. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Peter was profoundly affected by the resurrection. This was the coward. This was the man who denied Jesus three times. This was the man who showed the change in his life by standing in front of a crowd of thousands of people at, at uh, Pentecost and preached the sermon, recognizing even his life might have been in peril. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter says in 1 Peter, 3, uh, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. 
In other words, the resurrection of Christ gives the believer hope. And this hope is based upon his, verse 3, great mercy. We have this hope because of his great mercy. And we have this hope because the Father has caused us to be born again. We are given a new life. We are given a new beginning through this spiritual birth. And we have this hope guaranteed to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was struck by the story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent a part of his life in a Soviet Siberian prison camp. And uh, during that time, he writes that uh, he became absolutely discouraged about life. He was in an inhumane situation, and he was oppressed, and life was difficult and uh, full of uh, physical labor from sun up to sundown. He was frustrated and he was thinking about ending his life. And he knew if he stopped work that the uh, guards would beat him and probably kill him. So his plan was to stop working with the shovel, lean up against it, and just let the guards do what they were going to do. He just didn't want to live anymore. As he was contemplating that, and as he actually stopped working with the shovel, his friend, who was also a believer, reached over and with the blade of his shovel drew a cross at the feet of Solzhenitsyn. And Solzhenitsyn said that he looked at the cross, and in that moment he was revived and energized and reminded of the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. And it gave him the hope to continue on until he was finally freed from prison. We need to remember that Jesus Christ, and not only the cross, but more than the cross, the empty tomb, is the basis of our hope. And as a result of our hope, the scripture tells us that the person of hope has a quiet confidence in God, Romans 8.28. The person of hope who lives in hope has patience and tribulation. A person of hope learns to put the trial in perspective and recognize that God has a plan and a purpose even in the trial. He learns patience in tribulation. He learns persistence in prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5:17. Because his spiritual eyes, Hebrews 12:2, are fixed on Jesus. Let me say to you my friend this morning, if you're here in the auditorium and you're going through a difficult time, there's hope in the resurrected Christ. There is hope that gives you a confidence in God, a patience in tribulation, persistence in prayer, but you must keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the one who raised from the dead. So the resurrection of Christ, number one, authenticates Jesus' claim to deity. It proves that he was who he claimed to be, God. Number two, it authenticates the prophecies of the Old Testament. Number three, it conducts the supernatural power of God to the believer so that the believer doesn't function in the Christian life with his own resources, but with the resources of God. It confers spiritual life to man. Number five, it's critical to the establishment of the church. And number six, The resurrection of Christ establishes moral absolutes in a morally relative world. And the resurrection of Christ gives hope to the believer. So if you're here this morning, the child of God, I'm convinced, needs to respond to this 
by giving thanksgiving and praise to the Lord for his resurrection from the grave, his death on the cross, his payment for sin, of course, but then his resurrection from the grave. We need to respond with thanksgiving. And that reminds me that the person who's here this morning who's a seeker, person who's here this morning has not yet received the gift of eternal life, but is interested and open to the possibilities. I want to suggest to you that today is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity to become a child of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the moral values, the absolutes that are given to us through your resurrection from the grave. Thank you for the church, the body of Christ, your position of headship and leadership. And thank you for the spiritual life that you have instilled in us that will one day respond to that up heavenly call and our bodies will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will be changed, we will be like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that supernatural power that, en that enables us to live the Christian life today. And thank you for your resurrection, which gives us a sense of confidence as we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, because it's been authenticated by your resurrection. And we thank you that you are who you claim to be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We thank you for the assurance and absolute confidence in our faith. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning who's never received the gift of eternal life, that today would be the day of salvation. And if this makes sense to you, and you would like to respond to our Lord's invitation to you to experience forgiveness of sin through his finished work on the cross and new life in Jesus Christ, would you pray with me as we close the service this morning? If my words are what you want to tell the Lord on Easter Sunday, 2010, will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again the third day. I confess to you that I have made some bad decisions in my life. I'm willing to admit this morning that I have sinned and offended your holiness. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new person. I ask you to help me to make the rest of my days count for you. Thank you for saving me. How about you, dear Christian, as we close this morning? Is there anything you need to tell the Lord in the quietness of your own heart as we close the service this morning, reflecting on the practical significance, the life-changing consequences of the resurrected Christ? and its meaning in your life. In light of that, what would you like to tell him? You pray and then I'll close.
And so, Lord, we stand in amazement at the tremendous love that you have demonstrated toward us. We've been reminded of it once again for reasons we don't fully understand. You took upon yourself the form of a servant and humbled yourself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But we're grateful that your ministry didn't conclude there. After being buried three days later, you were alive. And because that's true, we have hope. And for that reason, we give you thanks this, today. And Lord, for that one who has prayed to receive Jesus this morning, I pray that you would encourage them in their Christian faith as they begin to walk with you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed this morning to receive Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you to begin reading in the book of John. And you'll find out in the lobby at the uh, visitor's desk a Bible study that will help you in your new walk with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to pick one up and begin your study. God bless you.